You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The South African Rand has been one of the best performing currencies over the last 13, 14 months since the so-called pandemic has hit us. And also the South African bond market, having been downgraded to junk status, has started to regain its composure. Let's talk to Peter Kent, the co-head of SA and Africa Fixed Income at 91 in Cape Town, about what has been an extraordinary period and also, more importantly, look to the long term. Uh, Peter, the Rand was 1935 against the US dollar. It's now 1425. But as I say, this is short term stuff. We need to look to the long term. It has been an extraordinary period. Hi, Lindsay. Yeah, it has been. I mean, we've got a bit of a joke on the desk at the moment. We call it the Swiss Rand. You know, it's been <laughs> it's been one of the top performing currencies, even against sort of developed markets. So it's been a fantastic year. And and to be honest, we've for the last six to eight months, we've actually been saying to our clients is you can't be too bearish the Rand. And, you know, despite what it feels like on the ground, there's actually some dynamics happening with regard to the flow of money in and out of South Africa. And that's what's been underpinning it. I mean, we have we have we've been running this thing called a current account surplus, right? So if you look at the way to think about it is as follows: if you look at the if you look at South Africa and its dealings with the rest of the world, you know, there's a lot of financial and current flows, right? So when we trade, we have current flows. When people move in and out for investment purposes, those are capital flows. So what has happened since? the pandemic last year, is our current account. So our current flows have moved into a massive surplus. So why is that? So the kind of stuff that we export, gold, base metals, those kinds of things, those have been going up. So the price of the stuff that we export has been going up. What is our major import oil? That went down precipitously during um, the pandemic. So our current account improved materially from a price perspective. And then South Africa, because demand's been so weak, because we've lacked confidence, because there's been job losses, we haven't been buying a bunch of stuff. You know, people haven't been buying cars and iPhones and those kinds of things. So we haven't been importing much. Our need for foreign currency hasn't been there. So you've had this huge current account surplus develop, which basically means day in, day out, there's been people looking to convert dollars into rands. So we've been saying for a while now, being bearish the rand is like swimming upstream. And that has been a big underpin. So the thing that's actually weakened the rand from time to time are those capital flows. And those capital flows are foreign investors moving their money in and out of South Africa. And that's largely been a sentiment thing. So there's been episodes where sentiment's been poor over the last year. And those are the periods where the rand was a little bit vulnerable, moving 50 cents to a rand in a couple of weeks. I think we all remember those. And then obviously we had at the beginning of this year, we had a big re-rating in the U.S. bond market, which meant that South African bonds suddenly looked a little bit awkward versus versus what was happening in the U.S. And you saw money leaving the country then. So there's been about two or three bouts of capital leaving South Africa since the pandemic, which has resulted in those little bit of a speed bump. But that's been the dynamics of the rand. There's also another dynamic as well. Simplistically, if you have a look at the differential in inflation between the United States of America, for example, if you look at the dollar rand, and we'll touch briefly on this, US CPI inflation is 2.6% per annum, and South Africa's yes. is just above 3% per annum. Yes. Uh, so that, that old economic or market known, if you like, that the rand will depreciate 6% per year has suddenly gone out the window, to my mind. And again, that's a short-term view, not a long-term view. 
Yeah, Lindsay, I think I, I think there is an element of that. Um, you know, and, and the governor, the central bank governor, uh, Governor Khanyakho uh, has has mentioned this. You know, if we have inflation which is comparably higher than our trading partners, the rest of the world, it does mean to restore purchasing power parity. So it's a bit of an economic alliteration there, but. Yes. You know, to keep that purchasing power parity, I think everyone probably knows the concept of the Big Mac index. You know, the, the, the price of a Big Mac across the globe is a great way to sort of see if there is purchasing power parity. And in South Africa, I think we've got the cheapest Big Macs in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't export them. <laughs> if we exported them, that would be fantastic. But, you know, it's that concept that, that, that feeds into the inflation differential. So, you know, the governor and the Reserve Bank, part of the reason why they want to keep inflation well-behaved and low is exactly that phenomenon. It means that the susceptibility to sort of imbalances to purchasing power parity is a lot less than it otherwise would be. Let's give this chat a macroeconomic backdrop, if we can, both global and um, local South African, that is. The global economic health, I mean, we're talking about these gangbuster numbers from the United States of America, maybe between 8 and 10% GDP growth off a low base, albeit a post-pandemic base. But um, uh, what do you think? Is it going to be a pandemic short-term boom or is there going to be long-term disappointment? Let's start with South Africa, if you would. Yeah, I think I think the way to think about South Africa is, it, it, you know, the, the numbers are surprising to the upside currently, both on the growth and the revenue side. So the reason why growth is particularly important in South Africa right now is less about the concept of growth, but more about the tax revenues that are that are being collected on the back of that. So it has been surprising to the upside, but you know we're very particular on the desk here. What we say is. It's not a surprise to the upside. What we say is it's better than feared. You know, that's been our mantra for some time. A lot of the economic data that we've seen in South Africa is better than feared. And the reason we use that is by no means are things good. When you look at the level of economic activity now, even though we're going to grow this year, you know, last year we were going to be down around 7% um, growth on the back of a really sort of poor 2019. 2019 is really not a benchmark you want to be proud of. We declined 7% from there. We're going to grow at about 3% this year. But that still means that our level of economic activity, our level of output at the end of this year will still be considerably below the 2019 levels. So even though the data, we've just had retail sales data last week, we had some mining data last week. It seems like every rock that was dug up last week was potentially gold. When you look at the data, it was fantastic data. But it's still only better than feared. We are still way below where we were going into the pandemic, bearing in mind it was nothing to be proud of going into the pandemic. So that's the way I would summarize as, or, or summarize the economic situation right now. I think there's still a lot of hardship. There's a lot of pain. You know, hospitality services, tourism are still being decimated. You know, revenues there are down 90 to 100 percent. So I wouldn't want to say that it is boom times in South Africa. I would, I would, I would say it's better than feared. Okay. Across across the Atlantic, though, in the US, it is unequivocal boom. It really is. So it's like people as use the analogy: people coming out of prison and saying, "Thank goodness," and let's get out there and spend, and let's have let's have some fun. And, in, and when I say fun, I'm not being facetious here. Actually, going out and doing things that we used to do, which which we haven't been able to do for a year or so. Anyway, in South Africa, we've still got issues. We've still got debt. We've still got unemployment. We've still got state-owned enterprises under pressure, balance of payments, etc. Where do you see South Africa? 
against its emerging market peers, it seems to have done very, very well, certainly from a market participant point of view. Yeah, Lindsay, so this is a great question. And, and you know, when, when you look at the demand for South African bonds, where you look at South African asset prices versus where they were that eve that we were downgraded to junk, you know, it is a remarkable comeback. And, and, and we get a lot of questions around that is, is, is how has it been? I've explained the sort of RAND situation. But I think your, your point on us versus EM peers is very pertinent. I mean, look at, look at somewhere like Turkey, for example. You know, Turkey's had an inflation problem. So that, you know, that point we raised, you know, Turkish, Turkish inflation is double figures heading towards sort of 20%. You know, that's very reminiscent of the 90s for South Africa. Um, Turkey, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the central bank governor was fired late on a Friday evening because he hiked rates too much. Yeah. You know, so, so you saw the Turkish lira devalue by 30% overnight. You know, you, you can't invest. That, that bond market is uninvestable. You take Russia, for example. You know, Russia, there's just been sanctions uh, put on uh, Russian bonds. Uh, U.S. investment managers and banks can't buy new issues of bonds. Um, You know, you've got an opposition leader in a sort of in in a Siberian prison um, with the threat of further sanctions if his health deteriorates from here. So Russia is tricky. You know, when you look at Brazil, for example, they're really struggling with COVID. And I, and by no means is South Africa out of the weeds on COVID. But philosophically, they've approached it much more differently. So you've seen a big depreciation in, in, in the real. Look at India with the, date, with the sort of COVID numbers that they've got. So South Africa, with its institutional strength, with its orthodoxy, even though our numbers are not fantastic, you know, that current account dynamic that I mentioned, taxes are better than feared. South Africa is actually quite a predictable place to be. You know, it's not a very compelling investment case, I must admit. But when you're an emerging market investor and you've got 9% yields in our, in, in our 10-year government bond, it actually looks quite attractive in that context. Well, on the South African bond story, Let's talk about South African bonds versus cash. Let's talk about interest and inflation views and differentials uh, relative to other EMs and also developing uh, markets. But briefly on the bonds, that was a couple of weeks ago. And again, this is short term and this is a long term chat we're having. I saw the South African 10 year bond yield yielding something like 9.60%. And I looked at it a couple of days ago, which I do, and it was 9.1%. This is a big move. And this tells me that people are coming for the South African bond market. How do you view it? Yeah, Lindsay, so that move in yield is, is equivalent to a 3 to 4% move in price, you know, which hmm. is, 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 is when you think about the interest that you're earning, first of all, I mean, when you look at the South African bond market, the vast majority of returns that you've got from the South African bond market the last three years have been the interest component. You know, with yields of 9%, you're already, you know, you're already starting with those kind of returns and then you hope for some capital uplift. Um, so, yeah, I think South African bonds do look attractive. They look attractive versus our EM peers. They look attractive versus treasuries. They look attractive versus inflation. You mentioned that inflation is is way below the midpoint of the range. We're going to get March inflation this week, and it's only going to be in the mid-threes as well. So, you know, you've got cash rates that are really low. So the South African government bond market is actually a fantastic place from a valuation perspective. The only question and the big sort of predicament um, that a bond manager has to manage is we all know that valuation and yield, you know, at these kind of levels – 
doesn't come for free. There's, there's an associated risk with it. And the associated risk in the South African bond market context is debt sustainability. You know, all of this debt that we've taken on over the years, which has obviously accelerated with the pandemic, is it sustainable? And that big question hangs over the bond market. That's why bonds look very cheap, but have looked very cheap for three years. And and why bonds, South African bonds, are the first point of conversation that we have internally with our equity and, and multi-asset colleagues, because they look cheap for a reason. It's because there is a big debt sustainability question mark that hangs over them. So as a portfolio manager, the way that you try and square the circle is, how do I get exposure to this very, very cheap valuation in a way that if the debt sustainability genie comes out of the lamp, out of, out of the lamp how do I not sink my portfolio? That That is... That is the crux of it. South African politics is something we need to talk about. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I know that because I was I woke up this morning and I saw a WhatsApp from the desk of the President of the Republic of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, and he gave a long, long, long for a message anyway, a long message on the Durban port renewal. And he talked about it and how much money is going to go into it. And it's, it was just something so refreshing compared to previous administrations. And so I think that although it's, it's at a glacial pace, I do think that politics is starting to come to the fore again in South Africa in a positive way. Yeah, I think, interestingly, I actually think politics is going back to the background. <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny thing about South Africa, South African economics and asset prices is you know, South Africa, they almost used to act independently of politics. Politics used to be peripheral. You know, under the sort of latter Zuma years, it became front and center in a negative way. So the fact that it's sort of moving to the background and being a little bit more stable is exactly sort of where it needs to belong, you know. And and, and, to, and to let you into another sort of desk phrase, we've got a few of them by the sounds of things. We yes. talk about incrementation. You know, incremental implementation. So we've spoken about this for some time when it when it comes to the Cyril Ramaphosa presidency is, you know, ultimately reforms are needed. But in the complex political climate of South Africa, if you move too fast, then ultimately they prove to be unsustainable. You know, you need to drag your constituency, the, the, the various factions along in a very sort of deliberate way so that you don't run ahead and ultimately mean that those reforms are unsustainable. So one thing that I think we all learned over the last year with this pandemic is how state incapacity was exposed. You know, you can come up with the best policies in the world, but you, if you don't have any way to implement them, then what's the point? And I think with the pandemic, there were some fantastic Sunday night interventions from the president that ultimately proved very hard to implement because we just didn't have sort of capable administrations in various areas. So a capable state is just fundamental to an economy. So you can do as much economic reform as you want, but if you don't have a state to implement those policies, what's the point? So the president has been focusing on that, has been focusing on law and order for the last couple of years and doing it in a very gradual, deliberate way that is sustainable. And we're starting to see that bear fruit um, in exactly the sentiment that you're talking about. And now you can start moving on to things. I read the same letter. We get a, we get a letter every morning from the president, from the desk of the president. And this yes. morning was refreshingly around the Durban port and what Transnet is doing there. You know, we are now moving from state 
capacity law and order into genuine economic reform around infrastructure. It is refreshing, as you mentioned. So, you know, you don't want to tempt fate in the complex sort of political arena of South Africa, but the news is good there. Yes, it is. Let's have a look at the RAND very quickly because uh, 14 months ago, the 13 months ago, excuse me, the RAND was trading at 19.35 to the US dollar. In other words, $1 by 19.35 South African RAND. It's at the moment uh, just above 14. It's an extraordinary move. We know with the RAND that you can't, <laughs> you can't rely on either its strength or its weakness, but it certainly seems as though it might this time be the real deal. What do you think? Yeah, Lindsay, I think I, I think that same philosophy, you can't be too bearish the RAND. That current account dynamic is going to persist. It's not going to be as supportive as it was last year because as the global economy recovers, as South African consumers spend more, we'll obviously start importing more oil. You know, people will notice the petrol price is starting to go up. So the dynamics are becoming less favorable, but they're still favorable. So we don't sit here and get very bearish the RAND because of the exact same factors. But, you know, the propensity for it to strengthen considerably from here, you know, we would need to see those capital flows start shifting from outflows, which we've seen over the last year or so. You know, they've started to shift a little bit more positively lately. For the RAND to go materially stronger from here, you'd have to sort of almost rely on slightly more fickle capital inflows, which I wouldn't want to necessarily do. So for us, the outlook for the RAND and the way we put position in our portfolios is very, very similar to what we've been doing over the last six to eight months. You just can't be too bearish the currency, but we have a small allocation in our portfolio as protection against that debt sustainability genie that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Let's look at your strategy now, just to wind this up. Let's put everything together that we've just spoken about and talk about where you're going to make your money, where you're going to make your returns. Corporate bonds, is it property? Is it fixed income assets? Is it money market? Please tell me where you're positioned at the moment. So I think the first point is cash is, it's, you know, cash is in the threes. So you, know, you can't be sitting in money market type instruments. You've got to make your cash work. We're in an environment in South Africa where there is a search for yield. I mean, I just can't believe we're actually talking about that concept in South Africa. It's <laughs> something that's quite nebulous. So where are we searching for yield? So the Gabi bond market, I think, is probably the cheapest fixed income um, or income generating asset in South Africa at the moment. So we have an allocation there. But the debt sustainability question, the risk question means that you need a small allocation offshore to mitigate that. And our small offshore allocation is not sitting in dollars, all in dollars. It's diversified. There's a little bit of euros. There's a little bit of EM in there because what the Fed is doing is ultimately not very supportive for the dollar. But it's a small allocation. We call it a risk mitigating, mitigating allocation. We've also got a small amount in inflation-linked bonds. Um, even though inflation is low, it's pretty much priced. Um, so some inflation-linked bonds, shorter-dated inflation-linked bonds, look quite nice from an income perspective over the next six months as inflation bottoms and starts moving higher. So we like inflation linkers. And the other thing that works with inflation linkers, again, if the RAND depreciates, if you do have a political problem, say, you know, the political news is good, but you can't take it for granted. So let's say the narrative starts changing there. Inflation link bonds do tend to do a little bit better because the currency depreciates and inflation moves higher. Listed property is a bit of an enigma because of, you know, you can imagine with the with the impact of the pandemic, it's hard to really get a handle on true valuations there. 
So listed property is very volatile, but it's also cheap. So our listed property allocation is between 1% to 2%. Yields look fantastic there, but volatility is quite high. So in the kind of portfolio that we run, capital preservation is important to us. Our investors were very happy when last year we avoided a quarterly drawdown. You know, we'd like to keep that record up. So our, our listed property allocation is constrained by its volatility. Listed property is about three times as volatile as it used to be. So whilst it looks attractive, you don't want to you don't want to be over your skis from that perspective. Investment grade credit, very, very important component of South African fixed income. But bank paper in South Africa is actually very rich at the moment. It's, it's it, on some parts of the curve. It's actually trading inside Govy paper. So Govy paper is actually cheaper than banks. In other words, people are lending to the government at a higher rate than banks in many parts of the curve. So bank paper is not uh, is a little bit too rich. So we've been buying um government-guaranteed SOEs, um, you know, the yields there are quite good. You get a pickup to Govies there. And then Transnet, as you mentioned, that, that letter from the president, it's got a very strong balance sheet. If you do your homework on SOEs, there's one or two of them that we think are quite sound on a standalone basis. And we like government-guaranteed paper in that sector to pick up for income. So, you know, just, just to sort of summarize, at the end of the day, like we need income, there's income on the table. Inflation is low, cash is low. Govy bonds are the best place to get that income. So we have a Govy bond allocation split between nominal and linkers. It's being protected by some offshore assets. Uh, and we've got a little bit of property because it's so volatile. But in, in general, you can get a, a really nice cash-beating yield from that mix and hopefully avoid those quarterly drawdowns, even if the market turns out to be volatile. You've got your hands full, Peter, I can tell. It's going to be a fascinating rest of 2021. Peter Kent is the co-head of South Africa and Africa Fixed Income at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.